Good morning. I'm Pastor Josh here at the Duntown Advent Christian Church, and we'd like to welcome you to our Sunday morning worship service. Um, the methods that we use uh, have had to change over the last few weeks, as everybody else's have. Uh, but our mission as Christians and as the church has not changed, and it, and it never will. Uh, we are called primarily to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. Um, we never end up doing those things perfectly, but we hope that we are doing them better today than we did yesterday, and we hope that we'll be able to do them better tomorrow than we did today. Um, because this work will endure. This work that God is doing in the world will endure. Uh, we're told that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, and so if you would like to walk along beside us as we follow Jesus, uh, we'd love to have you do that. Virtually right now for the time being, but, uh, but as the situation improves, we hope to be able to gather together in person once more. Uh, because if nothing else, this time of separation has taught us that, um, that there's a sweetness to gathering together, that there's a beauty in coming together physically as the body of Christ. Uh, and so while we wait to gather together in that one place again, um, right now we're gathering together in, in spirit and in thought and in image and sound to worship God together. Uh, as we start to do that today, I'd like to read from Psalm 95, where it says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together. Uh, we thank you for the privilege of, of worshiping you. We thank you for the great honor it is to be able to open your word together. Uh, and we ask that, uh, that you would be at work uh, in our hearts through the words that are shared, through the songs that are sung, uh, and, and through the influence of your spirit, God, that we would come away from this time together um, more in love with you, better able to love others, and, and more motivated to teach other people to do the same. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we gather together on a Sunday morning as a church, we are expressing our great love and appreciation to God for everything that he has done for us. 
so that is one of the ways that we, that we fulfill that commandment to love God. Um, we also uh, attempt to fill that second commandment, love others, uh, by gathering together in, in smaller groups and, uh, and, and learning about each other's lives and how we can help each other um, walk after Jesus more fully. Um, right now, those, those groups are gathering online rather than in person, uh, much as we're doing now. And if you'd like to participate in one of those groups, we'd love to have you join us. Please reach out to us and, and we'll, get you, uh, we'll get you equipped to, to join in with one of those.
In addition to our online community groups, we are also offering the opportunity to gather together each morning uh, to spend some time reading the word, praying together, uh, and, and memorizing scripture as a way uh, for, for God to make us into, into better disciples, better followers of Jesus. Uh, and if that is something that, uh, that you are interested in, again, please let us know and we'd be happy to get you connected to, to that group. Climb up Sunshine Mountain, heavenly breezes blow. Climb, climb up Sunshine Mountain, faces all aglow. Turn, turn from sin and sadness, looking to the sky. Climb, climb up Sunshine Mountain, you and I. Yay! Yay! Prayer can be a little bit intimidating sometimes. Uh, the idea of um, going before the creator of the universe and, and, and praying, talking to him, asking him for things, seems a little intimidating. But one of the things that happens when we become Christians is we become adopted sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. And so it's not so much that, that we are going before this, this high and mighty deity, although that is true, but we're going before our, our, our Father. A daddy is, is, how, um, is how Jesus approached him. And because we are approaching as one with Christ, we can approach with that same sort of, of love and trust and familiarity. Uh, and so as we, as we prepare to, to pray together, um, take that attitude um, that, that you're approaching your Father who loves you uh, to, to thank him, to tell him about the things that are, that are heavy on your heart, to ask him to, uh, to do things. Not, not because, um, not because it's required, but because he's our father. That's that's what we do. We go to him with our problems. We go to him with um, with our doubts and with our fears and and with our with our lack of understanding. And he answers. It's not always the answer that uh, that we would like it to be. It's not always the answer that that we're praying for but he does answer and we can trust in his goodness we can trust in in who he is and the fact that he loves us um, that even when he doesn't answer the way that that we want him to he's answering for our good uh, so let's pray together father we thank you for um, the the little pieces of spring that we're starting to see god it's so beautiful to see um, just the, the little signs that, that new life is coming. 
that the, that the deadness of, of winter is not the end, but there is a springtime that comes after. God, it's, it, it's beautiful and it's wonderful to look forward to. Father, we, we are grateful for that, that pattern that you've built into creation and the way that, um, the way that after that season of deadness, there comes new life. And God, we're, we're thankful for what that teaches us about, about our, own, our own lives. That even while we were dead, spiritually, God, you came and you raised us to new life. There was a springtime for us. And Father, we give you praise and honor and glory for that. Because we didn't deserve that. But you did it anyway. You gave us that new life. And we praise you. We thank you for that. Father, in the midst of these difficult times, um, we ask that you would be with um, people who bear responsibility for, um, of, of all different types and all different sizes. God, from the, from the town administrators and the, um, and the principals and the hospital administrators, all the way up uh, through the governor and, and to the president. Father, we ask that... Um, that you would be, uh, that you would be walking alongside of those men and women, God. That you would be giving them wisdom. That you would be giving them insight. Um, and Father, that that you would be softening their hearts. That you would be opening their ears, so that when that wisdom arrives, uh, Father, they they can recognize it. They can hear it, and they can heed it. Um, it's all too difficult to to allow fear and to allow um, doubt and uncertainty and, and self-preservation, God, to, to, take the, to, to take the reins there. And so we ask that, that you would be at work in all of those people, surrounding them with wise counsel, surrounding them with insight, and that you would give them, them soft hearts and receptive ears to be able to hear and to listen and to base their judgments on the wisdom that comes from you and not from, um, not from the, the, the sin that sits within their own flesh. Father, we, we pray all of these things so that, um, so that as your word says, we might live quiet, dignified, godly lives uh, so that your gospel would be able to be proclaimed. Father, we pray also for those who, um, who have become sick with this coronavirus, God. We, uh, we can't imagine um, it's how difficult it must be for, um, for those patients and for their families. And so we ask that, uh, we ask that you would do a miracle here. We ask that, that you would heal, Father, that you would heal en masse the whole swath of them in an absolutely miraculous show of your power. God, you have done those sorts of things before, and we believe that you have the power to do them again. And I can't imagine anything that would be a greater demonstration of, of who you are than to miraculously heal hundreds of thousands and millions of people who are sick all at once. So that is what we pray for. Father, we also pray that you would be at work in, in our hearts, 
God, that, that you would be causing us to, to long for you, that you would be causing us to trust in you, even as, um, even in the midst of uncertainty, even if um, that, that miracle doesn't come to pass, God, that you would cause us to, to love and to trust you more with each day that passes, so that even if our situation becomes darker, even if our situations become bleaker, Father, that, that we have a renewed and, and, and living faith and hope in you that is undimmed by uh, our circumstances, that is undarkened by uh, sickness, God, but a hope and a, and a faith that transcends all of those things. Father, we pray also for the healthcare workers who are um, on the front lines, uh, the, the grocery store clerks, God, and the people who are keeping our society running at, at risk uh, to themselves, God, at, at substantial risk to themselves in some cases. We ask that you would protect them and preserve them uh, and, that, and that we as your people would be... Um, would be thankful for them and that we would be supplying their needs uh, as they supply ours. Father, we thank you also for, um, for the grace that we have been given through uh, your word in the past few weeks. We thank you for the, for the encouragement that, that your people has given us. And we thank you for um, the comfort of your Holy Spirit. God, that is what we need more than anything else, more than healing, more than, uh, more than life itself, God. We need your peace and your comfort to, uh, to be poured out on our hearts and to be poured out on the hearts of the people around us. Father, we ask that that is what you would do, first and most of all, to pour out your spirit on, on this nation, to pour out your spirit on the people of this world so that all people all around this world, from all walks of life, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, that everybody would look to you and acknowledge that you are great, that you are good, that you are Lord and you are king over all creation. Father, that is what we desire. We want you to be made much of through everything that happens. We want you to be made much of through our lives. We want you to be glorified and magnified and honored in everything that we do, in everything that we say, and in everything that happens. From now until Jesus comes again. And it's in his name that we pray all of this. Amen. 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. If you consider the Duntown Church your church home, we would invite you to participate in that ministry by giving. Uh, there's information about how you can do that at duntownac.org give. Um, one of the other things that, that we do as a church is uh, we maintain a, a benevolent fund to be able to support 
those both in our church family and in our community who find themselves in need. Uh, if that is something that you would, part would like to participate in, uh, you can also designate gifts specifically for the Benevolent Fund, uh, and those monies will be used exclusively for uh, those, those ministries and those people that we've identified as, as being most in need. Uh, as always, if you know of needs within our community, or if you yourself find yourself in need, um, please let us know, and we'd be happy to, to try and help uh, navigate this uh, undoubtedly difficult and, um, and trying time. So the basis of our Christian faith is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God-made flesh, uh, and that he came down to this earth. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And after rising from the dead, he ascended into heaven. But that is not the end of the story. See, in John 14, before Jesus died, he told his disciples, uh, I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And then after he ascended into heaven, there were angels who came to the disciples and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then Paul wrote in, in 1 Thessalonians uh, about this, this time when the Lord would return. And he said, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Uh, and so Jesus is coming back. And these are just a few of the passages that talk about that second coming of Christ, that return of Christ to the earth. Uh, and we're going to look today at, at Matthew 24 and 25 and some of, the, uh, some of the teachings that Jesus gave there about what uh, some of the events that would surround that second coming. Chapter 24, verses 30 and 31, and 36 through 44. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. For as were the days of Noah, grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not left his house to be broken into. Therefore you must also be ready to be taken and one will be left. Therefore stay awake, for you do will be left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not left his house to be broken into. Therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So this second coming of Christ will be unexpected. It, it, it will be sudden. Uh, it'll be unanticipated. Uh, and as part of that second coming, uh, what, what we find out here is that, uh, that Jesus has expectations for us as Christians, as his servants here on this earth. And he goes on to tell these three parables 
uh, about how he expects his servants to be uh, obedient, prepared, and faithful while they wait for his second coming. Uh, so the first parable picks up in, in Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus in this parable compares these, these two servants. Uh, one, and, and the master goes away in both cases for, and, and is delayed in coming back. And one of the servants is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. Uh, he's, he's managing this household well, uh, but the other servant abuses his authority. And so when the master comes back for that first servant, uh, he has been faithful in these small things. And so he is rewarded with greater responsibility, greater trust and authority. But that servant who didn't fulfill the, the master's expectations, uh, the, the term that's used there is that there was a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, so Christ expects us as his servants to be obedient in his absence. Uh, he also expects us to be prepared. The, the first few verses here in, in chapter 25 uh, is known as the parable of the ten virgins, uh, where it says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So there are these women who are waiting for the groom to show up uh, as, as part of this wedding celebration. Five of them were prepared for, for a long wait, and five were not. Uh, now, there's a temptation for us today to delay in doing the things that we know that we should do. Um, you know, starting from the time that we're very young, uh, I'll... I'll start worrying about God once I get out of high school, once I graduate from college and get a real job, once I get married, once I have kids, once the kids are grown up, once I'm retired, then I'll get serious about God. But as it points out right there in, in verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So we as Christians should be living our lives in a constant state of preparedness for Jesus to come back. 
So Christ expects his servants to be obedient and he expects them to be prepared. Uh, he also ex expects them to be faithful in, their, uh, in the discharge of their responsibilities. So this is what we see in, in this last parable this morning. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow, and sathering where you, gathering where you had scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I had scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Christ's servants will be obedient, they will be prepared, and they will be faithful. So these servants from this parable of the talents, uh, these talents that they were entrusted with, each talent was worth approximately 20 years wages for, for a common laborer. Uh, to, at $10 an hour, that works out to something around uh, $400,000. And they were entrusted with these talents. They were, they were given these talents to invest, each according to their ability. Uh, so the master didn't just divvy it up evenly. He gave, he gave one servant five talents because that servant had more ability than the one that he gave the one talent to. And these first two servants did exactly what they were supposed to do. Uh, and, and that was why the master uh, said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Uh, and it's, it's kind of encouraging and important to note that um, that the master responded the same to both of those two servants. Uh, he didn't say to the servant to whom he had given two talents, 
well, this guy over here did five, and you're only giving me, you only made two of what kind of lazy, no, no, he, he entrusted them an amount in accordance with their abilities, and they provided a return in, in, in accordance to what they had been entrusted with. Uh, they used what they had been given, the very best that they were able, and their master was, was satisfied with that. But the last guy, the third guy, was too scared of losing what he had been entrusted with. And so he didn't do anything at all with it. He just took it and buried it. He was afraid of losing what he had, and so he didn't put it to work. Now, while he did keep it safe, that wasn't enough. The money should have been invested, right? It should have been invested in trade or even with a banker so that there was some sort of return. There was some return to the master for that investment, but there was none. Now, in the same way, we have been entrusted with treasure of our own, right? We've, we've been given income or we've been given wealth. We've been given time or, or skills. We've been given homes. We've been given children. We have been entrusted with all of these things by our master. Which brings us to the question, what, sh what sort of return are we showing for these things that we have been entrusted with? They have been given to us by our master, by God, entrusted to us that we might show some sort of return, that we might show some sort of profit for them. Because they are not just for our enjoyment. They are not just for us to preserve and deliver back to him unscathed like the third servant did. But they have been entrusted for us to put to work for the master so that we might be able to give back to him a return on the investment that he trusted us with. So we as Christ's servants are called to be obedient. We are called to be prepared and we are called to be faithful and we will be held accountable according to how we do these things. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, 
Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not ministry to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So Jesus was here on this earth and he gave us instructions. Uh, and, and we've been summing those instruct, instructions up um, in, in the phrases, love God, love others, and make disciples. Now, Jesus is coming back again, and he's coming at a time that we won't expect. But he does expect us as his disciples, those who follow him, to have been obedient to what he told us to do, to be prepared for his coming, and he expects us to have been faithful stewards of the gifts that he has entrusted us with and he will hold us accountable for how we have done that. We will be held accountable for how well we've made disciples, how well we've taught other people to love and to follow Jesus. We will be held accountable for how well we have loved others, how well we have given of ourselves for the benefit of other people. And we will be held accountable for how well we have loved God, how well we have trusted him, how well we have followed him, and obeyed him in our hearts. But these commands are not, they're not singular, but they're interrelated because we can't love God if we don't also love other people. But if we love God, then we naturally, out of the overflow of our hearts, will love other people as well. And if we truly see God as being of ultimate worth and value, and if we truly love and care about other people, we will want to tell them everything that we know about God. We will want to make disciples. But the people in this final passage, these servants, um, are being judged, particularly um, in the way that that loving God and, and loving others work together. So there's one group that's brought into the kingdom with the reason being that they loved God and that was demonstrated in their love for other people. But then there's a group that that was rejected from the kingdom because by failing to love others, they had also failed to love God. And, and we see this recurring pattern all throughout these, these two chapters, that those who are not obedient, prepared, faithful servants will be put out. They will be shut out. They will be cast out to the weeping of, and gnashing of teeth in the outer darkness, that final punishment for sin and rebellion. Now we are entering into a time uh, when we will be asked to put the things that he has given to us to use, uh, to put those things to work in unprecedented ways. With, with this coronavirus, we don't know how this is all going to play out. Um, but we have, been given, we have been given time, by and large. We have been given a world that hurts. And we've been given cars and homes and money. And so the question that we need to be asking ourselves is whether we are prepared to leverage those things, to use those things, to invest those things, to fulfill our mandate, our instructions to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. 
Now, my specific response and your specific response and the church's specific response will depend largely on, on how things go in, in the weeks to come. We pray that God will take away this virus, that he will heal those who are sick, uh, and, and that there will be a miraculous recovery that is made all around the world, and that all of this, all of this distancing, all of this economic cost um, will, will have been for nothing. But it may be that we are hit hard with this, and it may be that large numbers of those in our communities and, and in our families won't be able to do simple things like get groceries or, or pay their bills. And it may be that we spend much longer than we anticipate confined to our homes. If that is the case, then we will be left with this choice. Will we be faithful to what God has called us to do? Will we love God? Will we trust him and his goodness? Will we trust the fact that he is in control over every molecule of creation? Will you love God in the midst of this coronavirus? Will we love others? Will we spend our money? Will we open our homes? Will we risk our health and our very lives to love others with the same intensity and the same fervency that Christ loved us with? Will you love others in the face of the coronavirus? Will we make disciples? Will we have a faith and a hope and a love that not only reassures and strengthens us, but that we can use to strengthen and reassure others? Do we have a faith and a hope that we trust in enough to tell other people about it? Will you make disciples in the midst of the coronavirus? If your answer to any of these questions is, is uncertain or if it's wavering at all, if fear or doubt or questions have clouded your mind, then this group of believers is exactly where you need to be. You need to be walking alongside the men and women of faith who can encourage you and spur you on to be able to answer those questions with a resounding yes instead of an anemic kinda or maybe. In John 14, before he died, Jesus said to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas, one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has promised us that he is coming back and that we will be with him as believers for eternity in the glory of the Father. But there's a question that has plagued Christians for as long as there have been Christians. What is taking so long? 
Why are we waiting so long for Jesus to come back? But Peter answers this in in 2 Peter 3, where he says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, as a part of of Christ's return, we will stand in front of God who sits on a throne of, of judgment. And the question essentially will be, what do you have to say for yourself? What justification will you give for the type of life that you have led? And the reality is that there is none that can be given. We have all screwed up royally, and we know it in our hearts. Paul wrote in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then a little bit later that the wages, the, the, what we have earned by our sin is death, eternal destruction. But in that divine courtroom, there is a miracle that takes place. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, steps in and says that he will pay that debt of death that we owe. And not just wipe out that sin debt, but he'll give us this blank check, drawing not off of our moral bank account, because those are pathetically overdrawn, but rather that blank check is drawn off of his moral bank account, which is infinite. But before we can take this deal, we need to count the cost because it comes at a price. That deal requires us to walk away from the sin and rebellion that has characterized our lives. We need to reject pride and selfishness. We need to reject anger and fear, reject greed and laziness. And of all of those things, we need to repent, to turn away from them, to leave them behind. And this is why Jesus is waiting so long. To give each one of us the opportunity to repent of our sins and to place our faith, our hope, our trust, our love, our security in him. But placing our faith in Christ requires that we stop placing our faith in everything else. But that's the only hope that we have when we stand in front of that judge. Because we have all fallen short, right? We haven't loved God, we haven't loved others, and we haven't made disciples. What have we done instead, right? We've we've loved ourselves, and we've tried as best we can to force and to teach the people around us to love us too. But in Christ, there is forgiveness for our sins. If we will repent, if we will turn away from those sins and turn instead to Christ. And he is calling us. He calls, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is waiting. He is waiting so that all of us all of us would have that chance to repent, to turn away from our sin, and to trust in him as our only hope in life 
and in death. Let's pray together. Father, that is what you are to us. You are our only hope in life and in death. Father, you provide for us everything that we need. You provide for us the food that is, that is on our plates. Father, you provide the, the water that we drink. You provide the very air that we breathe. And so you are our only hope for life. But Father, our bodies are, are mortal. We are finite creatures. We have an end. And Father, our only hope in that end is you. You are the one who has conquered death. We are subject to it. You are the one who has overcome the grave. We cannot. Father, you are the one who made a way for us to be reconciled to you despite our sin. We cannot do that. And so we ask your forgiveness, God. We leave behind all of the things that we have trusted in. We leave, we, we're, we leave behind all of the things that we have turned to for comfort, uh, for, for love, for security. God, all of those things we should find only in you. And so we leave it all behind. And we trust in you. We trust in you and we love you even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of fear and, and, and despondency and doubt. Father, you are our hope in this life and in, this, in the life to come. Father, we ask that as we, as we rely on you, that you would remove from us the fear that, uh, that presses on us, God, that you would remove from us the, the, the sense of, of despondency. But Father, that you would replace it with love and trust. Father, that you would replace it with a, with a desire to, to know you more, to love you more, to trust you more, and a desire to love others as an outpouring of that, of that love for you. And Father, we ask that, that you would then make us so joyful, so excited about what you have done for us that we cannot help but tell the people around us what it means to have a hope that transcends this world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd like to thank you for worshiping with us this morning. It's been both an honor and a privilege. Uh, for as long as we are meeting virtually, we'd love to have you join in with us uh, via Facebook or YouTube. Uh, and when we are allowed to gather together once more, uh, we would love to have you come and, and worship with us here on the North Wade Road in Wade at the Dungtown Advent Christian Church. In closing, I'd like to offer this blessing from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace.